0: Uh, Here in just a moment. Our speaker this morning is John Jenks. John was our wild game dinner speaker last night uh, and taught Sunday school and will be uh, preaching for us this morning. He serves as the president of Baptist Church Planters based out of Ohio. He pastored for 22 years in Wisconsin, uh, grew up in upstate New York, as he'll probably mention. Don't hold the Ohio part against him. He's not from there. It's just where he now is serving the Lord. A Baptist church Planner seeks to strengthen and encourage healthy churches through helping those churches raise up leaders so that churches can multiply. Uh, and he's been something that we've gotten to know kind of as a church and myself personally, as we have sought to, uh, encourage and help, uh, Trinity Baptist Church there in Imla City. Uh, Baptist Church Planners has been a big part of that, uh, helping that go smoothly by God's grace. And we're just grateful for their counsel and wisdom along the way. Uh, so John's going to come in a few minutes and, and open the word after a few more songs before that though, let's read our scripture.
1: Major On February 4th, 1980, he was hit head on, major head injury, all the left side of his body was completely broken. And as a fifth grader who loved God and wanted to walk with him, I was trying to understand how to walk with Jesus intimately, that to know him as shepherd, like we just sang so beautifully. And these kind of things rock you. You know, how is... How would a shepherd, my, my parents are sold out to Jesus. They've left the family farm. They've left everything that's normal to follow you, Lord, because we love you. How does this fit? You know, I'll just tell you, Christ is a shepherd to a fifth grader. And he walked me through bitterness and through so many things that I could stand here today. Um, My dad's first church, he survived that, um, lost everything from that year of schooling because he was in Bible college. He he had no memory. He lost six months. Uh, He has blind spots to this day, walks with a limp, uh, never has had free-flowing speech like you or I might have. But God has greatly used him to plant several churches and rescue a church. Uh, and he has walked with Jesus. I mean, and when I think of that, why do, why do I share that today? Well, first of all, I just can never get past the day. We always call dad on February 4th and are thankful to have had a dad. But most importantly, to have a dad that would walk with Jesus and a mom that did not quit in that when it was really bleak. And I'd love to share more of that story sometime. It fits with our passage. and uh, And we just sang about him as shepherd. And I just, I don't know. It says in Romans 4 that as Paul talked about Abraham, that um, by glorying, by giving glory to God, we strengthen our faith. So I think that's what I'm trying to do today, is just enter with you in glorifying God as shepherd, right from your story, because you know your story, and to say, He is, and He will. Um, this is His character, this is His name. He will walk with us. And when we glorify Him like that, He strengthens us, for we do not know what is next. It constantly changes if you said that i'd be doing this today I'd say no way. I I I came out of my dad's first church thinking church was bogus Like I don't want to be a part of church I knew christ was real But my dad and his loving and kind discipleship and other men and women that god put into my life Shepherded me by god To understand that god's church is part of his plan and you might be here Reckoning with that like it's hard to even be here from what I came from, you know And you might be in those same turmoils. I understand But God will shepherd you in that. And this passage is a big part of how the body does that together. It's really what BCP is about, as Pastor said. And you as a church, you have to know, I come here not to tell you anything, but just to say, stay at it. Because I know this is who you are. It's what you're trying to do. You have invested significantly in M.L.A. City. And we are thankful for that. That's how churches that are walking through difficult things can be helped. It's very Book of Acts that's why you've done it. And I would say to the credit of your elders, they have held things accountable. And we do that. We set marks of what needs to be accomplished by way of obedience. And that's rugged when you haven't been obeying in some of those areas uh, very repletely. And so that church is leaning into some of that. They've taken correction. They've been humble. They're working. And you've been patient. And you've been serving. And I just have to say, that's why we love partnering with you. You know, it says on the screen, we're Baptists. That's what you are. So it makes it comfortable to partner with you. And what do we do? We serve churches We want to serve you as you serve Imlay, and serve Imlay as they receive your help and work together And our real goal in that is that as that church gets more established Maybe God would use the two of you to help another struggling church or to plan a church together I can't know what God would want you to do. That's not our job as a mission Our job is to help you as God shows you that path and as you walk it in obedience as a church. And that's just what we want to do. We're a young mission, only 30-some years old, and God's done some really interesting things in that. And I don't have time today to kind of unpack it, but God used our second president, who was that for a long time, to really establish and ground us, and keep our doctrine clear, to put partners together so that we would have help. He gathered missionaries from other agencies that were um, dying, or had quit, and so we didn't have a lot of our own missionaries that we sent as brand new missionaries. But God used this agency early on to gather. And so we have a huge amount of retirees that we serve. And I think it's awesome to do that. They are special people spread out around the country. And uh, that's just been an extra benefit that God has given to us as a mission. They help us think right and to serve correctly. The next president really understood that the local church in our circles was shrinking, was not discipling, and therefore there weren't missionaries going out. One of our sister agencies, Baptist Mid, during one of those years, had only one new missionary. And they're a big agency. And so how does that change? Well, agencies don't send missionaries. You do. The local church does. So we need to strengthen the local church. So Steve asked me to come on and be a wing of BCP of just encouraging help, discipleship, and leadership training in churches. And a few years later, somehow, I ended up president, and uh, I, I still love to do those other things, so I rewrote my job description somewhat, and, uh, and it allows me to stay involved with churches because that's where my heart is uh, very directly, and God has blessed us uh, in numerous ways. These are the states we're in. We kind of showed that in Sunday school, and God has expanded that. There are five new states there compared to seven years ago. Why do we do what we do? We do it We want churches to be strong and ready to reach their communities. And these are communities that are not looking for local church to come help them. Matter of fact, our culture in America is kind of anti-church to some degree. And it's pushing back, even though the very things they're struggling with regarding identity and all kinds of truth confusion, the church actually has the answer for. And so we're trying to help churches be able to go and give that truth in a, a direct way and in a loving way in your communities. It's a big part of it. You're in this process as the helper to Imlay who's walking it. And they're in that coaching accountability process. And because they lack a robust core, you have given some of your core to help them in an ongoing way for the next number of months. And we just, again, are really thankful that helps that church hopefully work at the Great Commission and put their concentration on that. I show Iowa because it's not Ohio, right? Right? least. And uh, so I <laughs> show Iowa, where we have circles of churches, very similarly up in the one corner you see a little town called Pocahontas, if you got really good vision. But Pocahontas and Emmitsburg, and you would be like Emmitsburg, is to Pocahontas, where they, that church is actually replanting. They don't even meet on Sundays uh, right now, but they meet uh, in care groups during the week, and they worship with the mother church. And they're 30 minutes apart, but that, they're investing in very similar ways to you. And God is Having the gospel go out, there are two brand new Bible studies in that little town of Pocahontas where the gospel is being shared right now. That was not true when the church was meeting every week six months ago. So we're excited about that change. And we hope to see more leverage of churches working together. There are lots of things I could say on this, but I want to preach, so I'm going to do that. The one piece I would say is um, local church strengthening and continental U.S. church planning is one of the fastest ways to grow foreign missions. I learned that from Dave Little, our second president, when I was a college student. I practiced it as a pastor, as we planted churches and rescued churches, and then sent over 26 people into full-time Christian ministry from the year 2000 till now. And God does that as we work at that discipleship intentionally together, and as we start churches. As we've been working the last seven years, we've seen eight new missionaries' families go into full-time ministry overseas. Because of churches that we're helping to disciple. Isn't that awesome? Did you hear that? Eight new families. And we've had eight new missionaries come with us. Uh, stateside. From those same churches that we've been helping strengthen. And we just think that that is a huge shift. When our agency hadn't had a new missionary in multiple years. And now we're starting to see the final piece that we hope for. And that is church planting. As this year we have our first two new church plants. One Hispanic and one English speaking. Um, just get started in the last several months. We're excited. And again, from churches like yours that have been serving and working at discipleship and helping other churches. And we get to see God just do his natural book of Acts fruit. And uh, I look forward to how God's going to do that for you. I don't know what it should look like. Uh, but I know it'll look something like that. Um, When I think about what we want to talk about today, go back to Titus chapter 2, if you would, and I think it's always good for a a speaker who comes out of nowhere to tell you why he's going to speak on something, and I picked this passage because it has my attitude in life, and you'll see that in just a minute, and I picked this passage because it's been the bedrock, I preach this everywhere I go when I get a first swing. And I preach it because I never get tired of it. Because it is what I believe in. It's what I want to live. It's what I am living. Whether it's an outdoor ministry like I did last night. And discipleship trips that I take every year. Hunting. Or in the local church where my wife and I are discipling three evenings a week. Different couples and individuals. Because we think it's more fun than watching TV. Just so you know. Okay? It's just a blast to meet with people and stir them up. And we don't have kids at home. We just have my my father-in-law and he doesn't care. So we just fill our life because it's fun it's invigorating uh, to the other pieces we do and it's a way for us to serve our local church even when i'm gone on weekends when i think of this i think of my pastoring i pastored in wisconsin and after about a year i had five young ladies come to me in that 20 to 25 year old range and said would you find someone that would mentor us and i thought yes The things that I've been teaching in Sunday school are landing. They want to do this. So I picked the five oldest ladies at church that were super godly. I gathered them together and I said, would you all consider I have a lady to give to each of you for discipleship? Would you do that? And they said, no. And I thought, I'm 25. Like, what do you tell an older lady what to do? I can't, you know, really. So I went back to my office and I'm not a super emotional guy, like cry kind of guy, but I went back to my office and I cried. Because I can't disciple those five ladies. And it's supposed to be older women. You're gonna see that in the passage. And I, I just prayed. And one of the ladies, she's so, so cool. She'd been a widow for 15 years and she was only 60 years old. She'd finished raising her teenagers. She was a public school teacher. She came back to me as a matter of fact, Wisconsin woman and said, Pastor, I know you asked me to do that. And I said, no, but I was wrong but I don't know how to do it, so if you'll help me, I'll do it. I'm like, okay, let's do this. I love people like this. They're just run by Jesus. And Mrs. Patel, she's a godly lady. She went home to heaven about two years ago in her 80s. I mean, just a beautiful woman of God. And matter of fact, and just so you picture Mrs. Patel, she worked with young people, loved to do that. Our kid, I was a brand new pastor of Christian education and and so I took my, my two-year-old for his first day in twos and three Sunday school, and I put him over that half door that churches and horse stables have. I've never quite figured that out. But <laughs> put him over that door, and I set him down. And the biggest three-year-old in the room came over and shoved my kid, and he ran on his backside. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's my firstborn. And he gets up, and he punched that kid right in the chest. <laughs> and as a dad, I was kind of like a little proud. But I was pretty sure as a pastor that was wrong. And I kind of froze, and I'm in charge of all this. And Mrs. Paytel's like, you run along, I'll take care of this. Some things just need to happen. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she used to take our family uh, to, on our anniversary, she'd take us and our three kids for years. She'd take us to Pizza Hut. And she said, it's your anniversary week, so I'm I'm paying for lunch. I'm like, Mrs. Paytel, you're a widow. I make more money than you. Your Your salary's in the bulletin. And I... <laughs> I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. And uh, we'd go to lunch. And I I share that story because our kids, once a year, I mean, they certainly were taught along the way in a few classes by her. But once a year, she would just focus on them at that lunch, ask them how they were doing, breathe spiritual things into their lives. I, I say this because discipleship isn't always meeting with someone for 10 weeks in a row. It has many different faces, men and women, old and younger. Uh, across different venues that you might not think and so when our middle child was going to go to Cedarville and we were getting ready to take him I went to Mrs. Pato who was in her wheelchair in her home and I said Josh is going to college what are the top five things he should think educationally in order to do well and she ripped off five things I should have asked for 10 and I typed them up and about halfway to Cedarville I said Josh, by the way, the other day I interviewed Mrs. Palo and asked her, what are the top things you should think so that you would succeed at college? And here's what she said. And I got the first one out. He goes, Dad, stop. And this 18-year-old kid pulls out some kind of device and types out these five things. I mean, what 18-year-old listens to an 80-some-year-old woman? They listen when it's been a woman like this passage talks about. So let's think about this passage as you think about this passage. I want you to be thinking two things I want you to think who's in my wake So who is behind me that I should be reaching to because you should write somebody down as you hear this sermon You say i'm 10 years old. There are younger people than you at church And maybe you or maybe one of your friends you say I should be investing in them The rest of you can do the math. And some of you, and then you can just say, who's in front of me? Who do I need to go to for help? Pastor prayed so well, you know, for some who come in alone. Who do you need to seek out? Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them and ask, would you help me in my walk? And some of you are really smart and you say, I'm so old, there's no one in front of me. There's a couple of you in here, okay? That's okay. You partner together because that means you have the optimal opportunity of all these people that you can influence that's what this passage is about this screen reminds me of that because the guy the older guy on the one end that I hunt with quite a bit he came to church and eventually after 10 years of spiritual headlock he was committed to Christ he began to teach uh, youth Sunday school matter of fact we locked him in that room for like 10 years and he taught senior high Sunday school and he taught Zach in the middle and as he was teaching Zach he's like I don't think he's getting anything and Zach went off to Bible College and almost got kicked out for making a blow dart gun and shooting fish in the school pond. <laughs> in Wisconsin, we think that's kind of normal, but apparently it was frowned on in the city. But anyway, so he, he makes it through. And I'll never forget the day that Ryan preached the installation service for Pastor Zach. As he came on staff with us. These are the kinds of pictures. That's why I tell stories. The passage is there for you to study. We're going we're gonna to hit it hard here in a second. But, I mean, it's these pictures that you need to be embracing when you think of your spot at church with other people. This passage does pick up my attitude. Look at verse 1. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The word teach there means literally to declare it or to spit it out. It's not the normal word for teaching in the original language. And he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 15, the last verse in this little section, says, declare these things. That's the same word of teach in the first verse. So you can really tell that Paul's talking to Titus, and he says, you need to spit this stuff out. Like, you need to do this. And he had to do it on the island of Crete, whose sign, I came into Lapeer, it's a nice pretty sign, you all look like nice people, but at Crete, you know, the sign at the dock says, home of lazy liars. Now, wouldn't you like to live in that community? You know, I mean, that's where Titus had to do this passage and older women and older men in the church had to do this passage. Look here, it might be easier. I don't know. You decide. Either way, God said, spit this out. And he says in verse 15, exhort them, Titus, to do this. Literally, I need to push on you a bit this morning and say, you must do this. And if you look at me and say, no, I'm supposed to say, it says, rebuke, tell you you're wrong. Okay? So, I mean, this fits my attitude. You can tell. And he says, and do that, so I'm not out of line, with all authority which is, just rings in your ear. It's a passage about discipleship. It sounds just like Matthew 28, where all authority is Christ, and it's been given to us so that as we go, we would make disciples. I don't think Paul does that on accident. And it says, rebuke with all authority. This is Christ's commission to you, to me, as local church. fact, you're going to read this and say, is he talking to Titus or is he talking to me? And the answer will be yes, because the pronouns go all over the place on purpose for that. Lastly, if that wasn't enough, it says, let no one disregard you. i preached this, I don't know, 70 times. And one of the early times I preached it in a church in Iowa, I walked out and this little old lady came up to me in the foyer and said, I can't do that. I'm thinking, did you hear my introduction? Let no one disregard you. I cannot let this go. And she goes, I'm a brand new widow. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine what that's like. But now you have more time to do the passage. She's just looking at me, and they had a young pastor. He's across the foyer. I didn't know that she was like the family that gave the land the church was on. You know what I mean? And I just told her, you have to do this passage. That's what God said. She stormed off. I wouldn't tell this story if I hadn't met the pastor six months later at a conference. And he goes, you know that lady you talked to in a foyer? I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. He goes, no. She's doing the passage. She did know. As she went back to it, she realized this is what God has given authority for me to do. What are we supposed to do? Very quickly. And you're gonna to have to grab some keywords and, and, uh, I, to keep you from sleeping, I'll probably just give you a couple to make sure you have them. But who is this passage to? It's to all of us. Verse one says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The word sound there means that it's completely put together with balance. It's like my German short hair that I introduced people to last night um blitz craig if he came here he'd hit the top step man he would jump all of them he's crazy he jumped over me while i was sitting on the couch to greet someone who came in our house one time okay like he is michael jordan on four legs he just gets it done and uh so when i think sound i think that short hair my friend said all that running gear just to carry that nose because if a short hair has just a good nose and no legs, no good. If it's got all legs, no brains, no good. I own one of those. If it, You know, it has to have all the pieces put together, okay? And he says, your doctrine needs to be that way. This is the normal word for teaching, by the way. And it's going to be repeated. Young men are supposed to teach in this passage. Ladies are supposed to teach in this passage. And he's really writing it to Titus, and it, tr- it trickles down through In actuality, all of us are to help doctrine, help people with doctrine. That's what the word means. So older men, look at the older men in particular here. The older men, verse 2, are to be sober-minded. That means serious. And you can tell I like to laugh, but I used to get chastised as a pastor by someone. About once a quarter, they'd come to me and say, Pastor, you're just too serious. (laughs) And I'd go in my office and go, yes. Because I knew that meant I was nailing this passage. And if I was going to be a right older man, I needed to be serious. We are at a battle. We're in a war. We're God's church, and we have a responsibility, and we need to walk it with Him. Sober-minded. And then he says, be dignified. We don't use that word much, but the root of that word is the word that's used for godliness. And it has the idea of people having their attention put on God. That's what it means to be dignified. So when people spend time with you, they walk away thinking about God. God. That you you deflect their attention from hunting to God, from whatever you love to God, and dependence upon God. That's what it means to be dignified. Older men, we need to make sure we put people's attention on God. And he says, Be self-controlled, older men. Every one of the people groups here are going to be told to be self-controlled. And young ladies are told twice in the passage. And I'll let you decide why. Self-controlled. And he said, old men, that means, by the way, not to be passionless but to have your passion within the range that fits with God's desire. And he says, be sound. That's that German shorthair word, okay? Be sound in your faith. I find as I get older, I get sound in my patterns. That's different than being sound in our faith. If I have sound patterns, a young man goes, I could never be like that. But if I'm sound in my faith, he realizes, oh, I need to trust Jesus like that. And there's always an entrance for that. Sound, not in our patterns, but in our faith. And it will produce sound pattern. But faith must be primary. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Sound in our love. As we were working with drug and alcohol ministry stuff at our church, and cross-dressers began to come to church because they're trying to sort what in the world's going on. They didn't know Jesus. Is our love, old men, talking to us, sound enough that I know how to love all people? even that which is very unusual to me or very painful to me. Sound in our love and sound in our steadfastness. As I was preparing this sermon many years ago, uh, I was reading Winston Churchill's six volumes of World War II. I love it. It was great. In volume four, he's meeting FDR in Newfoundland. Our president, U.S. has not entered the war yet. And they're meeting to discuss how to do this and. And uh, Churchill sails in on the Prince of Wales, brand new, pristine battleship. And they meet, and they meet longer than they thought they would. And so they have church together. You can't even picture this happening today. And all the officers, basically, from both ships, met on the bridge area of the Prince of Wales, and they sang, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. And they worship together. And in the book, Churchill, right after he talks about that, says, To think half the men... In that service were dead in six months. Because the Prince of Wales sank in the Asian theater with almost every man lost. And I thought, doggone it. I have the Spirit of God. I don't believe Churchill did. I must have more steadfastness than him. And he had a lot. But I have the power of God in me. As an older man, I should not shrink away at what God puts in front of me. I must be steadfast. Now, I hate to do this to you ladies, but I'm sneaking up on you because the passage says older ladies. My wife says I'm not supposed to say old lady in church, but I don't know what else to say. Okay, so (laughs) old women, whatever it says here. Okay, it says older women likewise, which means everything I just said about old men, the women have to do. So let that settle. You need to be self-controlled, dignified, sober, sound of faith, love, steadfastness. But as per normal, the women always have a longer list. Can I get an amen? (laughs) My wife seems to have a longer list than me. I sit at home and I'm like, honey, stop. Because I just can't keep up. And she's still working. She's still going. I'm like, but you know, in this passage, I think they have the longer list. Because ladies in this passage have a difficult spot when men aren't on task. When men are on task, it works really well in church. Because women are to submit to church and in the home. That's what God had ordained. And so when men do badly, read the women's things with that in mind. What if if men do badly? What does a woman need? I think it's this. And I'm making an interpretive idea, so you decide. But it says, women likewise to be reverent in behavior. Because when men do bad, it's really easy to go, those men are nuts. Those men are not right. And it'd be easy, he said, reverent behavior, not slanders. It'd be very easy to say, why did God give us the? I mean, you could say some stuff, ladies, that I understand why you say it when we don't do well as leaders. But this passage is saying older women don't do that. And if you say, I, but I want to, I don't know how to stop doing it, then go find an older lady because I won't be able to counsel you on that. Go find an older lady who will show you how to walk in those difficult spots that might be your home or might be a church that you're a part of. I doubt this church would be that way. Um, so he said older women do that. And don't be slave to much wine. Women have it a lot harder physically. They have children. Men don't go through any of that stuff. And wine was used to deal with a lot of those issues of having had a lot of children. And he says, you may need to use this stuff like this medicinally. But he said, if you're controlled by that, how will the young woman and the young man learn self-control? They won't. And he says that these older women, they are to teach. That's that word doctrine. Teach what is beautiful. And we know they teach the young men and the young ladies because the young men do beautiful or good works in this passage. Where did they learn that? They learned that from the doctrine of the older woman. So older women, young men, you need to listen to your mother. That's what I'm saying. You need to listen to the older lady at church who's helping you. And you need to listen to the older man. So let me just quickly show what a young man, young woman to listen to. Young men, I'm going to do first. I'm going to do it out of order. Verses 6 and 7. He says, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Pull that passion in. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of beautiful work. So young men, you ought to come into church. You ought to go into your house at home and say, Mom, pastor, mom, deacon, how can I serve? What would be helpful to the family, to the church, if I did this? That's what a young man is supposed to do. You model that good work. And show, he says to the young men, in your teaching. Young men, you need to speak doctrine to other young men in particular. Speak doctrine, but do it with integrity. In other words, you need to be obeying it. And do it with dignity. Don't put the attention on you, put the attention on God. You say, I don't know how to do that. Go to an older man. That's their job to show you how to fit that together. In verse 8, and sound speech, he said, make sure your teaching has German short hair. That's what that word is. Okay? That it has sound speech, that your speech fits together. It's not warped and just one thing that you care so much about, but balance that you teach good teaching to your peers. Now the cool thing in this passage is um and both the young men, the old men. The young ladies, the old ladies, we're supposed to be self-controlled. But the young men and the young ladies have an outcome. And look at the outcome in verse 7. It says, do this so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This still happens in this world. Um, Our town was shrinking, kind of like some of the Flint stuff that's happened around here, where lots of businesses went away. and So we had a a year and a half where a 100 people moved from our church for job transfers. It was not fun. And you have to absorb that. and you got to go win new people to Jesus. And it was rough for a few years as we worked at that. And uh, so during that time, we weren't making lots of money. So I knew my boys eventually were going to need to go to college. And I said, okay, I'm going to help you start a business. So I helped them start a business mowing yards. And they did that for years, and God really used it in so many ways. But they finally, as one of them was in college, they finally got a zero-turn mower. They were no longer push mowing. And they thought, we have arrived uh, but they were mowing on that first couple of weeks with this new zero turn mower and this lady who has like a Darwin fish on her car. She's not really a Jesus type person. Uh, she calls me. She goes, your boys broke my fence. I'm like, oh boy, that's not good. I said, did they, did they come and talk? Did they know it? Yes. Okay. Did they come and talk to you about it? Yes. Uh, did they tell you we would fix it? Yes. And I'm thinking, then why did you call me? So I said, why did you call me? And she goes, I don't understand why they were honest. (laughs) Read what it says. A young man who lives right. My boys lived right that day. They don't live right every day. But they lived right that day so that an opponent may be put to shame. Having nothing evil to say. And I looked right at her on the phone, if you will. And in three sentences, I said, understand this. My boys sometimes fail at this. But they worship a king called King Jesus. And they live for him. And they must tell the truth. Well, that makes sense. I'll buy the stuff and you can fix it. Clunk. Did you hear what she said? That makes sense. A woman who didn't even believe God exists in one sense. God was preaching to her through the actions of young men. Young men, I'm telling you, lean into it. And very similar, young ladies, look at your section. Uh, verse 4b, it says to the older ladies, so train." That's the word that means self-control. And my daughter is very reserved and unemotional like me. You sense I'm not probably too controlled? Yeah. Seven technical falls my senior year of high school. You know, I was a naughty boy. So someone landed on me finally. So my daughter, I remember distinctly my wife, when she, my daughter was a teenager, my wife would grab her by the shoulders and she would train her or self-control her. She'd go, Abigail, very gently. Be quiet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and she—it's the verb form of self-controlling someone. <laughs> and she would slow her down, right? Now my daughter is a beautiful, controlled new wife today, and uh, she's still a handful, but in a good sort of way. And uh, and because her mother, as an older lady, worked at helping her be trained and to, as it says, verse five, to be self-controlled. But he says, train the young women to love their husbands and children. Uh, newsflash, men. Your wife will not naturally like you. Because the passage here is the word like. Uh, she's not going to like you. She may choose to love you because it's a God-ordained thing, but she does not naturally like you. Sometimes she wants to choke you. Um, I couldn't believe that until I started studying this, and my wife's like looking at me. But why? how does my wife like me? She was trained to be someone who could like me. Uh, it's not natural. It's part of being discipled. And as you look at this passage and you're thinking about who's in front of me and who's behind me, you need to be ready to help a young lady, older lady, on how to like their children and their husband. Because it takes skill to do that. It takes biblical truth and help from God. And you say, I'm not sure I know how to do that. Go to that older lady and teach them, it says, to be self-controlled, pure, no slander. That goes with the word earlier for ladies. To be working at home, literally... That word means guard the home. It has nothing to do with employment. I just say that. It means guard the home. My wife, first 10 years of our marriage, would say, John, if we keep going down this path, this and this and this is going to happen. And I would say, oh my goodness, you're overreacting. And I was wrong. Like, all the time. And after 10 years of marriage, I decided to listen. And our home ran so much better. Because my wife had been trained... Discipled to be someone who could guard the home and see that balance work at home kind submissive that it means walk behind it doesn't mean you agree with everything but you're walking behind them that why what's what's happens that the word of god won't be reviled i uh coached and then was president of american legion baseball it was my way to reach 15 new families every year in our town i loved it And so as president we'd serve and watch the games as the young men played our boys were already graduated And my wife would help me with that So she'd be in the stands and I'd finish what I was doing and in Wisconsin by the third inning all the men are drunk So then I'd go sit with my wife I'd talk with them for the first few innings and then I'd go sit with my wife and we just enjoy each other And every year multiple times people would come to my wife Men and women and say you two seem like you like each other (laughs) And my wife loved that she'd go oh we do And here's how we've been able to do that. And she would lay out truths from this passage. And if she was really being bold, she'd use the word submission because it's just so weird in our culture. And she'd do that. And no one ever laughed at her. They always said, that makes sense. The word of God was not reviled because my wife, did you notice I just called her a young woman? Did I do good? As a young woman was living this out in a way that people could understand. Now you may hear this and say, I don't know if this can be me. So i got to finish with this so that you can do communion correctly. And I mean that. This goes so perfectly together. Look at verse 11. It says, the ground. So you may hear all this and you might want to say like the old lady in the foyer in that Iowa church. I can't do this. But you can. And here's why. Not that I taught you the things you need to do. But verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. And there's no verb literally. Salvation all people. Which doesn't mean all people are saved, but it's a God's grace is so replete that you have what you need to obey what we just talked about. And in addition, verse 12, the grace of God, this gospel trains us. So you say, I never had a good dad. Doesn't matter. The gospel will train you coming to the table in just a moment. will train you because you'll look at the gospel elements and go, I must live that I must speak that. And you'll be doing this passage. It trains us, what, to renounce undignifiedness or ungodliness. It trains us to renounce worldly passions, to live self-controlled. We've seen that word four times already. It, the gospel trains us in this. If we listen to the gospel that we have so surely believed. It trains us to be upright and to live dignified or godly lives right now. And it teaches us how to wait for our real future in heaven. How do we do this? Because this blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness. He pulled you out of wrongness and set you up to disciple rightness in your own boots and with others and to purify us and by using us then as pure people that are being developed by Him to help others, the church be pure. i give one last illustration because I don't want to take too long, but it was outdoor weekend here, wild game dinner, so I thought, you know, there really ought to be a duck call in church. Don't you think? See, when my son was 10 years old, he came home from a wedding as a persecuted pastor's kid and said, when I get married, I'm wearing jeans and a flannel shirt. <laughs> and he says, and when my bride walks down the aisle, I'm going to play a duck call. And I never like to dampen my kid's spirit, so I just said, uh, what if she doesn't want that? She will. <laughs> so for his wedding, I went to a guy that I had been discipling, who my son had led his daughter to the Lord, this man and his wife came to Christ soon after, and he was taking 20 oxy a day. And he finally came to me as a new believer and said, I I, I can't I can't join the church. I said, Pastor, why aren't you getting baptized? He goes, because I'm, I'm hooked on oxy. I'm like, join the church, and then if you don't get off it, we'll discipline you out. I said, that's how God uses this. Okay. I said, you don't have to be good to get into church. You just got to be following Jesus. Okay? And God will do the rest. And he got serious about it. And he got clean. He's a trustee at that church today, 12 years later. Uh, so for the wedding, I went to him because one of the things he did is start making duck calls when he was getting clean because he could do it with his daughter, rebuild his relationship with her as a teenager. She had lived with us. He's rebuilding that relationship and keeping his hands busy. And I went to Kurt. And I said, Kurt... I want to make duck calls there. They have a burgundy wedding. So let's use heartwood, make duck calls for all the groomsmen, the dads and the grandpas. And I told him the story behind it. He goes, oh, let's do it. But he said only under one condition, pastor, you got to make his duck call. I'm like, Kurt, I'll, I'll wreck, I'll wreck something. He goes, don't worry, pastor. I'll disciple you. <laughs> That's dirty. He knew I couldn't say no to the disciple word, right? So I made my son's duck call. This is one Kurt made for me. And I'm not going to blow it because I'll, I'll wreck your mic. But um, as she came down the aisle at rehearsal, we played them. And then they played duck calls to have him kiss at the reception. It was a lot of fun. I can tell you more about that day that all went together with that. But I just say this. Discipling is God's plan for us. And we have the power to do it. Even as Kurt is now discipling in the early stages, one of his grandkids whose mom's in prison, and this kid's not quite saved yet and he came on our hunting trip this year with his grandpa. His grandpa's laying out scripture with him in hopes that God would make him alive. This is exactly what God sent us to do. Lord, I just pray that as we enter worship other elements right now, that you would use your gospel to affirm what we have said from the word today and that people would have a boldness that is not their human nature, but that is by faith from you and that they would be patient And just capture the very next piece of obedience that you want them to do in this. In Jesus' name, amen.